spoilers? Oh, lots and lots of spoilers. Welcome to another episode of Max Mike Movies, but before we start, we have a little opening note. Ding! We would like to apologize to the Craft Corporation for suggesting in last week's episode that the delicious hot beverage Sanka was a thing of the past. You can still purchase Sanka wherever you invest or bank. Thank you. I am filled with shame. And Sanka. Delicious, <laughs> hot, brown Sanka. <laughs> Sanka, it's hot. And it's brown. <laughs> yeah, and you haven't heard about it in years. Uh, that's their tagline. That's how they sell it. Anyway, welcome again to uh, Max Mike Movies, which is now 100% Sanka free. <laughs> <laughs> this week on the podcast... Went crazy. This week on the podcast, we're taking a field trip. A trip just around the corner to the shop around the corner, which yeah. exists in the magical fantasy land of Manhattan. Or does it? We're wrapping up our series, series, I cannot speak today, <laughs> we're wrapping up our series, Isn't It Romantic? A look at rom-coms and their ilk with some ilk. I mean, one of their most famous of semi-recent era rom-coms, You've Got Mail. That movie stars Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan, but who stars in our little roadshow? Who, who, you may ask? I'm glad you asked. Over there is our postmaster general, make mine mail, Max Levine. Excelsior. <laughs> That's what you're wrapped in. I am your plucky little post person, lick'em, stamp'em, mail'em, Mike Loose. And that's only half the story for the rest of this little romp. Stay tuned for trivia. Ooh, trivia. The show. Budget, yes. 65 million. Take. Make a guess. Well, I actually looked it up. It's like 200 million. No, it's 250 million. <laughs> Whoa. So, I see. Yes. Uh, Mr. and Mrs. America, we have something we wish to discuss with you. Uh, for whatever reason, you've got mail.com, the movie's marketing website, is still active. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, there's not much there, but it's there. They actually redesigned it a few years ago because people <laughs> were making fun of it, and it's like, okay. <laughs> I wonder who got paid for that. Anyway. The shop around the corner was actually Maya Shaper's Cheese and Antique Shop, utterly made over while the owner was sent away on a nice vacation. Did they, in fact, was then have any cheese? Uh, let me check. No. Ah. <laughs> it was then returned to its proper form after the movie finished shooting. No cheese was harmed in the making of this <laughs> film. Although I wonder, those two things together, do you uh, often shop for antique cheese, Max? <laughs> I sure do. <laughs> mm. Good and crunchy. Yep, yep. We will go into the obvious connections between book retailer Barnes & Noble and the fictional Fox Books book in this movie. What? But sure enough, the Fox Books uh. scene in this movie was, in fact, a Barnes & Noble store on was. Broadway in 83rd. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of Barnes & Noble, and we were... They did actually open the above store in a neighborhood that opposed the move because a beloved local bookstore, Shakespeare and Company, was nearby and it was expected it would close. According to their website, Shakespeare and Company is still open in three locations. Except now they're sell they're selling marijuana paraphernalia. They are not. Yep, well, they're all head shops. They are not. I'm sure I, I read it somewhere. <laughs> somewhere. I read it somewhere <laughs> I just made up. Max's favorite source of information, somewhere. Yep. Enjoy. 
Hey, it's good enough. It was good enough for the former president of somebody told me that's good enough for me. <laughs> okay. As research for their roles, Meg Ryan and Heather Burns actually worked in a small bookstore. Oh God, what kind of what kind of freak would work in a bookstore? <laughs> Yeah, I know. For a week or a day, depending on your source. Uh, wow! <laughs> Calm down, week. Daniel Day-Lewis. <laughs> yeah, wow. Um, Such method. The film... Yeah, I know. Yeah, go go deep there, Dustin. Um, <laughs> this film is based on a Hungarian play called Perf- Parfumerie, uh, in English, anyway. I couldn't pronounce the Hungarian. Hmm. It's been previously adapted into movies back in 1940 and 1949. The first was called by the play's name, Shop Around the Corner. It starred Jimmy Stewart and Maureen O'Hara. The second was called In the Good Old Summertime in 1949 and starred Judy Garland and Van Johnson. One more time in 1963, <laughs> it was adapted, this time back into a play called She Loves Me. All versions deal with people who can't stand each other in real life but fall in love through the mail anonymously. The third and possibly best-known pairing of Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan, the previous two being the infamous Joe vs. the Volcano and Sleepus in Seattle. There was a real store used as the basis for the shop around the corner in this film. It was called Books of Wonder. It, too, is still open. Michael Palin was supposed to be in this movie, but all his scenes were cut. Oh, man. that they were actually were filmed, but no. Oh. Max, I had a question uh, that I asked, and thankfully I found an answer, and the question was, why the hell is Dave Chappelle here? Oh, actually, I do know this, because he was offered the chance to be in Forrest Gump with Tom Hanks. He was offered the part of Bubba. Yes, he was. And he turned it down, and he regretted it. Yep. Hanks was a friend, and he promised him future work. He got this. (laughs) Yep, yep. Uh, Yeah. Because every time he showed up, I'm like, why are you here? And I have nothing against Dave Dave Chappelle. It's just that his whole... His eventual, um, I don't know how to put this, but his, his ideas on show business and stuff just seem very much not to be in a rom-com, but whatever. Well, he's also, they don't really let him be very funny in this. He I, doesn't have a lot of funny material. I actually and that's what he's he the does. funniest thing in the movie. Yeah, that's we, not, yeah, that's damning with faint praise. Sorry. But we'll get to that. Yeah. Um, apparently Meg Ryan was tired of uh, was tiring of her usual roles at this point. She was later quoted as saying, quote, uh, this was, that's the sick part, this was not kind of any stretch for me. I can't have that kind of experience again. I'm just not interested in it. Maybe and maybe not that showed. <laughs> yeah. uh, yet another, mov- another movie where Hanks plays a character named Joe opposite Meg Ryan. The other one oh, being yes. Joe versus the Volcano. Yeah. I mean, it's not a Tony Danza thing, but whatever. Uh, I'll be in it, but I, I'll be named Tony. Just saying. Uh, Otherwise, sure. I can't remember the character name. <laughs> I'm sure Mr. Danza is a very nice I'm man. I'm sure he is. Sorry, Tony. <laughs> and yet, every <laughs> character is named Tony. <clears throat> Critical response was generally good. Standout comments include, quote, great chemistry between the leads made this a warm and charming delight and a three out of four star review from Roger Ebert. He also commented that the main characters were, quote, immensely lovable, end quote. These are things that we shall inspect a little later in the show. This film would make Rolling Stone magazine's list of most egregious product placements in movie and TV history. (laughs) That's fair. (laughs) Yes, it's terrible. I I think the Smurfs is still worse, but it's it's certainly in the top ten. Well, the Smurfs would come much later, too. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and by the way, have we mentioned that we are still Sanka-free? 
<laughs> Speaking of product, send placement. us money, Sanka. <laughs> Sank. They haven't got any money. Nobody buys it. There. Well. Uh, all of this and many more. Do you have any uh, trivia you need to add in there? No, no. That was. That, uh, I think was it. Okay. So I'll get to the plot, <clears throat> such as it is. Um. Yes. That's not commentary. That's just. Uh, yeah. Meg Ryan plays Kathleen Kelly, owner of a twee little children's bookstore in the Upper West Side of Manhattan. Tom Hanks plays Joe Fox, evil, mustache-twirling owner of Fox Mega Super Bookstores, the dastardly chain of bookshops which have set their sights on the utter destruction of all privately owned bookstores. More or less. Sure. (laughs) But it turns out there's something else going on. Though each is in a relationship with someone else, they have, by utter chance, met on a chat room in something called <laughs> the internet. Since it's a fa- it's a fad. It'll never last. It'll never fly, yeah. Orville. Uh, <laughs> since then, they have anonymously corresponded through a newly fangled contraption called email. Mm. Each comforts the other through the blows of everyday life and business. But when the two randomly meet, they're friendly until Kathleen finds out that Joe is Joe Fox. That Joe Fox. At this point, she can't stand the man who is putting her little store out of business. But Joe, he's slowly falling for Kathleen, not least of which because his current girlfriend is just this side of utterly nuts, as played by Parker Posey. Joe realizes that the woman he's been writing to is in fact Kathleen, while Kathleen remains in the dark. Though she does go out of business, Joe manipulates the... I'm sorry, Joe innocently (laughs) continues to pursue (laughs) Kathleen without letting on that he's NY152, her pen pal. Finally, the day comes, and he lets her in on the secret. They fall in love and walk the dog. The end. Yeah, that's not a, a, a euphemism. They're actually out walking the dog at the end. Yeah. And honestly, I I would believe that's as far as it goes. Yeah. But it's not but, as far uh, as we go, because now, <laughs> the rest yeah. of the show. The lowdown. Uh, I do have to point out, you did make one small... When you talked about the shop around the corner starring Jimmy Stewart, it is not Maureen O'Hara; it's Margaret Sullivan. Oh, oh that I, you know, that was that was my uh, going over things too yeah. quickly. Thank you for pointing that sure. out. Just why we, we... Uh, they both begin with M, so it probably doesn't really matter. Yeah. <laughs> I think they're both uh, Irish too, so yeah, that yeah. really doesn't matter. They are in <laughs> fact the same person. They I are mean. not the same person. <laughs> I read that somewhere. Uh-huh. <laughs> It's a little-known yeah, fact. Yeah. In fact, you can now... We, we've opened this up for the world. Hey, Margaret, uh, Margaret uh, O'Sullivan and Maureen O'Hara are, in fact, the same person. And prove it if you're not. Come on, let's have separate calls <laughs> from each of you. <laughs> and, no, and, no each, and no talking in a high, squeaky voice and pretending you're the other person. I just had a phone call from my dead <laughs> mother. <laughs> yeah, that's... Ooh, thank boy, you. We won't go to that Thank movie. you, Norman. I hope. Yeah. Mm. Oh, dear gods, I just realized... Never mind, we'll talk about it later, but... Okay. Mm, it, it's a sequel. <clears throat> See, Mike is turning into Floyd the Barber over here. <laughs> oh, ooh, handy. <laughs> anyway, yeah. uh, one thing I'd like to point out real quick. Uh, Max and I will have a unique perspective on this movie, yep. as we have both worked in bookstores. We have. I, I worked in an, ador- in an adorable, charming, independent bookstore, the heart of the local community, whereas Mike worked for a heartless, brutal conglomerate <laughs> that was only interested in raping the land and uh, setting puppies on fire. and You forgot pillaging. Uh, pillaging, yes, excuse yeah. me. Pillaging and destroying. So Max worked in a, in a mom and pop. I worked at a, word, at a, <laughs> at a Barnes & Noble. Yes. 
yes, uh, for nine years. Uh, and uh, actually, let's just go ahead and start that yeah. there because there's some things in this movie which were not. Um, see, how shall I put this? Entirely correct. No. At, uh, Barnes and Noble. So one of the things that uh, they they talk about mostly uh, George, the character George, and. Um, uh, Meg Ryan's character, Kathleen, talk about is how all of the employees are soulless and none of them are readers. Uh, I got to tell you, at least the Barnes and Noble that I work in worked in, everybody was a reader. Yeah, everybody could be counted on for favorite authors, favorite book series. They have we sections had... called staff picks. Yeah, and it wasn't. And to be fair, a lot of times it was just like, uh, this looks good because <laughs> we had other things to do. Um, it was not, that's not the case. Now that being said. Uh, there's a lot of real-life parallels in this movie, not least of which because, you know, there was a Barnes & Noble that would open there. But Barnes & Noble was originally owned by a family. And, you know, I'm sure that they had people like Dabney Coleman in it. Uh, <laughs> so it was, I mean, there was a lot of things that really just were Barnes & Noble about this. And sure, Barnes & Noble did, would move into areas. And they would destroy had, all other bookstores. Right. Because they could undercut um, the prices. And that's what it all came down to at the end. Right. All I care about is cheap books. Yeah. Well, that's okay, because not too long after this, Barnes & Noble would get into some trouble. But, yeah, you know, well. it and, all comes around. And Just, I have to say, having worked at a mom-and-pop bookstore, which was a pretty sizable one, looking at the shop around the corner, I don't know how that thing stayed in business. Yeah, It's the size of a closet. They had about 50 titles, maybe. Yeah. And they didn't sell toys or ancillary items. There's, there's, and they are in one of the most expensive parts of New York, unless yep. they have, unless they're charging like three hundred dollars for a paperback. There's no way they would have stayed in business. Well, one of the things I'm guessing, and of course this is not mentioned in the film, and to be fair, it's not really a big point of the plot, is that when her mother opened the bookstore at one point, when real estate values were down, she bought the building. Yeah. Um, okay. That being said, that doesn't count for the fact that the building is now worth X amount of dollars and she has to pay all that property tax. Um, but she said she makes $350,000 a year. She grosses $350,000 The store a makes $350,000. We don't know what she pays herself, but yeah. Well, apparently she pays herself pretty well because, yet again, here's somebody living in a real nice brown... To be fair, she has an apartment in a brownstone, but it's in a prime location and it's a nice apartment it's, and, yeah. Yeah, so... Yeah, and that's the other thing. It's a little hard to feel too sorry for her. She's like, oh, no, my shop has gone out. Yeah, but she still owns the building in yeah. some of the most expensive real estate in New York. She is going to sell that building and become rich. Well, and then and later on, we're jumping ahead, but later on, once the, build, the business goes out of business. Oh, yeah, spoiler uh, alert. She spends six months apparently blowing her nose. Yeah. <laughs> that's all she does. Is that how long it's, I missed that? Okay. Yeah, they said like it was about six months. Uh, um, and she had done basically nothing. And it's like, must be nice to afford to do nothing in Manhattan and not like sit there on a stack of bills or something, but whatever. Yeah. Um, uh, early on in the film, there is a quote, and I think it's... Um, her boyfriend, Frank, who's played by Greg Kinnear, um, who says, name one thing we've gained from technology. And, of course, I couldn't help but think, well, being able to watch this at home yeah. on my computer. <laughs> well, I still like what she says. Um, electricity. Well, that's one thing. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if we've gained electricity from technology yeah, yeah. or we've gained technology from electricity. Whatever. Um, yeah, Greg, so this film yeah, Greg. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say, this film seems to center a lot around this brand new thing called the Internet. Oh, Lord. This is another thing that if you were a child of the 90s at all, if you were around yeah. then, 
there are things in there I actually found triggering. Yeah. Like when they're hooking up and you get that that sound. <laughs> the modem sound. Dial up. Oh, uh, you kids today, you don't even know. Oh. Uh, yeah. God. So Max, when did you first go on the internet that you remember? The actual, I guess, internet, if you want well, to call it that. Well, that does that, that that question doesn't mean anything. The internet technically has been around since the '60s. I went, I got on right. it sometime in the '80s, and it was just oh. local stuff, bulletin boards, and mm. uh, you know, I was getting on via VAX systems. <laughs> uh, then when I went to grad school, uh, they they gave us uh, email accounts, and then you know, I, I sort of I had I managed to find back ways in. You you weren't supposed. To, it, it's not like it was illegal. It's just it wasn't set up to do that, but I found ways to do it. And there wasn't right. much out there. Because, no. <laughs> you know, the web, which I mean, you, you could go search via Archie or any of those protocols and, you know, copy over documents and such to read, but there was there was no web. The web wasn't invented until 1991. And right. the first browser didn't come out till 93. One of my right. engineering students gave me a beta copy of this program, this weird program called Mosaic, <laughs> well, that's what it said, but it was mo- uh-huh. mosaic. And this ter- this horrible kludgy program called Trumpet Windsock, which I used on Windows 3.1. Oh, my God. Yep. I had totally forgotten about Trumpet yep, Windsock. Yeah, Trumpet Windsock, uh. which was the way that was a TCP IP stack. I'm sorry we're getting into serious nerd talk here. It got you on the Internet. That yeah. was the first time I had never, and, uh, you know, back then I went out and I saw the website and... Uh, <laughs> There was, because as far as I could tell, there was one. I think it was Al Gore just waving, yeah, wasn't I it? Yeah, I think so. I, hello? It's me, I, Al Gore. I, Al Gore invented the internet. I hope you Thank li- Al Gore. I hope you like it here out on my invention. <laughs> this is the information superhighway. But anyway. Hey, Forrest, hurry it up, will you? <laughs> anyway. So, yeah, and America Online, that was enormous. Back in yeah. the ninety, the eighties and nineties, it was huge. It was for a lot of people for literally millions of people. That's how they got on the online. And little history here: AOL was like all the others, CompuServe, Prodigy, Genie. It was a closed system. You could email right. other AOL users. You could look at AOL content. Then in night up all the way up until nineteen ninety three, when suddenly AOL dumped all its users onto the internet. <laughs> Which pissed off the so-called serious internet users because suddenly there are all these noobs. That's noobs with a zero because we're leet hacksaws over here. <laughs> I think I hurt my leet hacksaw. <laughs> yeah. You gotta be. You gotta warm up, otherwise you really can pull your leet hacksaw. Um, yeah. Yeah, but yeah, and AOL basically said to its three million u- u- users, "Welcome to porn." <laughs> Yeah, because there wasn't any on AOL, at least no. not not that stayed there. It wasn't supposed to it be It was any. all in ASCII. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yes, it was all text-based. <laughs> uh, and seeing that, oh, my Lord, that, that login screen. And yes, of course, yeah. the, that, famous, that, the, that famous line, you've got mail. Yeah, yeah which is what made this movie so topical. Yes, um, that has not aged well. I have no. Um, and one thing they barely touch on, we see it briefly, is he suddenly sends her at one point, uh, our, our main character, Tom Hanks there, Joe, sends Kathleen an instant message. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was a big thing that AOL had that a lot of people, a lot of other systems didn't. They had chat. Yeah. 
Yep. They had pop-up instant messaging. People were people actually downloaded that program who weren't using AOL just so they could chat yep. to other to other people. It was uh, very easy to use. Hell, my mother used that. I actually had to use it in one of my jobs because it was too much of a pain for our managers to get up and run to our cubicles. They just sent us AIM or instant messages. Um, and it's like, okay, whatever. So I had, I might even still, I think an AIM went the way of the dodo, but I, I had a, a handle <laughs> on AIM uh, just because of that. And I kept it. And I think I was using it up through like, the, I don't know, the mid to late 2000s. But, you know, that thankfully went away because now we have texting, which is even oh, yeah. better. Yeah. Now people read, you can never be left alone. Nope. And it's um, all instantaneous. And they, if you don't respond in five seconds, everyone, they think you're dead. Yeah, yeah, but, but really, all, then there's the movie. All of this, <laughs> yeah, all of this is just basically a way of saying, "Hey, nobody does pen pals anymore. We have to make this current." Yeah, um, and so they did. And to be fair, people still use email, um, but whatever. Oh yeah, that's 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 just us geeking out and nerding out and remembering all this dumb crap we used to have to use, like Pine for email. Uh, anyway, nah, yeah, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, but uh, that, the movie itself, first off, it starts off on a rather awkward note. Both Meg Ryan, excuse me, both Kathleen and Joe are in relationships. Yeah. S- serious ones. <laughs> they're like living with their, their significant others, and they are basically maintaining this email infidelity with another person well, secretly. I mean, and you can tell they know that they feel it's wrong because they're always waiting for the other per- The whole sequences, the opening scenes are them waiting for the other person to leave the apartment, make sure they're gone, then they clandestinely sneak onto their laptops. Well, let's stop right there. Um, now, this is a difference. Like, the other versions of this story, yeah. both the play and the movies, apparently do not include this aspect of the story. So why did um, this? I don't know. Mm. Um, and my question is, especially because it's just email and there's never, they, they, they set out some ground rules initially, which was no specifics. So no names, no, where do I lives? No, what What kinks am I into? What do you do? Uh, Not even, what do you do for a living? Yeah. So are they cheating on their significant others? In the literal sense? No. In the emotional sense? Yeah. Are they? Because then they're cheating in the sense that they're keeping it a secret. They're actively hiding it from the other person. Okay. And now the thing is, the other person, they're saving others might not care because it's not like they're, you know, sexting or what have you. They're not writing, they're not having <laughs> cyber sex. They actually, they, <laughs> they do bring that up. They too. do. They, Meg Ryan points the character, her, she points that out. She's not actually doing that. So yeah. no, they're not technically doing, doing that, but. It also immediately sets up that they're clearly in relationships that aren't going to work for them. You can kind of see why, because, you know, Joe is with Parker Posey or whatever her character's name is, because all I could yeah. think was, hey, it's Parker Posey, who right. is this inc- hyper-neurotic, incredibly... <laughs> Again, Parker Posey is amazing in anything she does, and every scene she's in, she walks away with it. Yeah, and with Tom Hanks, which is not easy to do. No, it's really but impressive. I honestly think half the time Tom Hanks just sort of stands there blinking his eyes, having no idea what just happened. Yeah, <laughs> she just talks so much. And uh, Meg Ryan is in this relationship with uh, Frank, which is uh, Gre- Greg Kinnear, right. who is, you know, do he, he does pretty much what he tends to do. He plays a very self-important, self-centered kind of douche guy. 
It's, I, I didn't actually find him douchey. I, th- I found him kind of wishy-washy. I found him extremely like he, self-important. He was and very well, self-centered. I didn't find him self-important because he never seemed to have the confidence to think that people actually liked what he read. Yeah. I think he wanted to be. Like, that was his goal. <laughs> but he hadn't quite got there yet. But, I actually didn't mind him so much. And, you know, later on, spoiler, because, you know, we yeah. do say that at the beginning of every, every show. Uh, they eventually um, quite... Um, what's the best word for this conveniently decide that they actually are not in love with each other yeah that breakup scene which takes about 45 (laughs) seconds is the easiest less least traumatic breakup scene i think that has ever happened and honestly in fact i don't think it ever has happened it's it's that's part of the whole that's one of the most unbelievable parts of the movie it's just how oh we're not in love anymore yeah Oh, you're Wait, right. I'm not in love. Are you in love? No. no, I'm not in love. Isn't that awesome? Now we can be friends. Yeah, uh, it's like, all right, yeah, well, we're that's... done. Now I can go off and we can go off and see other people. And I don't, th- I'd be surprised. That doesn't happen that easily. Or if it does on the surface and then later you realize, oh, it meant more or actually I am angry. But it's like, nope. Yeah. And, you know, when Tom Hanks breaks up with Parker Posey, we don't even see that. It no. just happens off screen, happens very quickly. There's no, there are no complications. There are no consequences. It's just like, okay, we're not together anymore. I assume they just took her away. I, I, <laughs> I guess she's she is. That's just one this, of the this warped force of nature. Yeah. Like I don't, you know, like this four elements. She's kind of like four point five. I don't know what's I mean, with her. You but. get the feeling that yeah, I believe this woman is an. She works in the publishing industry, and you believe that she is incredibly successful because yeah. you get the feeling she would simply blow through anything that got in her way. I would have liked to see more about her. Quite honestly, I thought she was an interesting character. I actually really wished that she had hired. Meg Ryan's that would have been interesting. Because, she talks about yeah. that. You know, well, she's out of work. I should hire her. She knows everything about children's books. Yeah. And, you know, she was talking about writing, which is a plot element that just gets thrown away. Yeah. Like, because Kathleen is writing a book because Parker Posey, again, we don't know her character's name. It doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> has told her you should write. And it's like, oh, yeah, that's a good idea. And apparently she's she's going well with it. But they just that never comes to anything. Um, I want to finish up this this point, though. To me, they are not cheating on their SOs okay. and the first two reasons. And the reasons are that they mostly are just talking about incidences in their lives and how they're having trouble dealing with them like you would to a friend. And also because all of their email is so incredibly boring. Yeah, there is that. There is nothing <laughs> romantic about any of it. There's certainly nothing erotic no. about it. No, and at one point we hear because they they t- they do an over uh, overdub of the email being read to us. Um, we hear like, oh, here's Kathleen talking about the trials and tribulations of the bookstore, and here's Joe talking about something totally unrelated. Yeah. And it's like, are you guys even talking to each other? There's just I don't know. For me, the email was like, why would this be a problem? It's so boring. If it's cheating, then your relationship is even more boring than the email. There are also a lot of just weird little throwaways in this movie, sort of not even side plots, but side characters that don't go anywhere. Uh, The fact, for example, Fox Books is owned by, it's called Fox and Sons, technically. Right. And it's owned by Joe's grandfather and his father. And all both of them have multiple marriages and... Obviously yeah. married to people much younger than they are. This, yeah. And there's a whole running thing where we see Joe with these two kids, and one of them is his grandfather's daughter with his new wife. 
So technically, this little girl is his aunt. Right. And uh, I think that's his father's. Wait, because his grandfather had no, no, no. That you're right. Yeah. Because then his father had a young son, and that's his brother, who he's like five. Yeah. I which... don't, and that's a creepy, and b why is it in there? There's this whole. It's like a five minute sequence where he's taking them to a street fair, and I assume this is just to show us. Oh, look, Joe's a nice guy. He's nice to the children. He's not a corporate monster. As opposed to making me think this guy's family is seriously messed <laughs> up. Did you hear banjos? I thought I they were was, banjos at that and, point. And, all, and there's another subplot, and this makes no sense, where his new stepmother or step-girlfriend, I don't think they actually, I don't think his father actually married her. They were talking about that. She keeps hitting on him, on Joe. And yet... The, at, with the nanny? No, no, no. That, oh, no, no, no. I know who you're talking yes, about. Uh, okay. Janine or... Uh, yeah, Billy right. Or well, she shows up once. Twice. Remember at the, when the little when uh, the daughter is doing a recital oh, right. and she says, "Yes, there. yes, I remember." Why did you have to bring that up? Because it's that song from Annie. Yes, the, ah! Yeah, the kid is singing. The sun will come out tomorrow. And in that, ah! the step girlfriend is sitting there trying to put her hand on Joe's leg, and it all ends up as a punchline that she eventually runs away with the female nanny. Yeah. So this. Does it does, the whole place she buy? We never find out. She's not even a character. She's just sort of a a plot point. I guess it's and not <laughs> an, an interesting one. Well, it's it's literally only there. So later on, when she runs away from Joe's dad, we can have a scene with Joe and Dabney Coleman on his boat. Yeah, yeah. Um, which then furthers the plot by. Um, yeah. Well, the boat doesn't sink, so uh, <laughs> I don't know. I would like to point out real quickly, um, we're talking initially right here about a lot of uh, plot points, which would obviously be related to the script. The uh, script for this film was written by somebody that we've talked yeah. about recently. It's uh, Nora Ephron, generally a very well-thought-of author. She and in this case, she also directed the film, and we'll talk about that. Um, she, if you don't remember, also wrote... Uh, when Harry met Sally, yeah. among other things. Yes, she did. But... She's usually a very witty, very funny writer. Yep. I don't know what went wrong here. Because uh, most of I... this movie is not funny. And, uh, you know, I realize I'm jumping ahead here, but it's also yes, not, it's not very charming. Well, and... And boy, is it trying to be. Isn't it? Mm. <laughs> I mean, th so my note, my specific note for that little uh, street festival, whatever it was supposed to be, was the festival montage is just too precious for yeah, words. God, seriously. I mean, if you don't know the, the definition of the word twee, <laughs> just watch this this series of, of images of him and the kids, because there's face painting and giggle, giggle. It's so much fun, giggle, giggle. Um, and there's, I don't know, there's there's this cute little, uh, I don't know what the damn game's called, where you have the hammer and you hit the, the, the strength weight and it the hits strength the belt. tester, yeah, yes. There's a, it's a little tiny one just for kids, and oh, look, he fakes that he doesn't do Oh, it's so cute and charming. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, it's not. So, it's just. Yeah. Not. Uh, I don't know about you, Max, but I did learn one thing, and this is in the background of a shot. And I don't know if the cameraman just didn't notice the sign. Mm -hmm. And uh, but I was, you know, not that interested in Meg Ryan at the time. So I happened to look into the background. There's this giant sign behind her at one point that just says, "Pancakes make people happy." <laughs> <laughs> well, that's hard to argue with. 
<laughs> the best part is that you don't know what the business is because nope. you can't see that sign. You just now know somebody felt the need to illuminate the words pancakes make people happy. Yeah. yeah. So that's a that's a gift. It, Another thing, uh, Max, I know you're you're sort of a fan of like old New York and stuff. I've never been there. I know that you both of us have had food from there, but Zabars! Uh, you will speak the holy name with respect. <laughs> Zabar yeah. is the greatest uh, deli in the world. Well, it's obviously not just a deli. No, no, like, it's like a shopping market. carts. <laughs> yes, they do. They have shopping carts. And, you know, oh, mighty Zabar. Lines of people. Uh, I have it on, on good authority that they have very nice smoked salmon. They have the best smoked salmon I've ever had in my life. I mean, Max is my authority. Yes, so that's how I it's do. really good. It's also uh, insanely expensive. So, aren't their bagels also pretty good? They're bit. Actually, you know, their bagels I always thought were only okay. That's they're not a bakery. Oh. That's not one of their specialties. Mm. I think so anyway. But, but they are like a very long standing, well known and beloved New York deli Absolutely. of the proper they, kind. They are an institution. They're an icon um, was, of New York. And that I think is one of the only movies that was ever allowed to film there. Yeah. Um speaking of charming, so we're in Zabar's. And this is the point in the movie where uh, Kathleen has figured out who Joe Fox is and is trying to avoid him because she, he's putting her out of business and she want, doesn't like him. Um, and she is in Zabar's and so is uh, Joe. And she's ahead of him in the checkout line and she's, you know, hiding her face and stuff. And she, you know, obviously has not been paying attention because she just doesn't want him to see her and, you know, vice versa. And she gets up to the the register and it turns out it's a cash only line and she doesn't have cash. And I think very realistically, the people in line are their New York selves and are basically like, what the hell's wrong with you? Get out of line. Yeah. And they are not unreasonable. I mean, it's like, yeah, this is a cash only. You don't have cash and you're arguing. Or as John Panette would put it, get out of the line. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, and so then Joe does finally see her because of all the fuss and hubbub. And he comes up and he talks to the cashier, Rose. And he says, well, you know, look, there's this credit card machine. Can't you just do this? Now, my, my question to you, Max, at this point, when he convinces Rose to actually run the credit card, is he supposed to be charming? I guess. I mean... The situation suggests he is A, supposed to be charming, and B, he's supposed to be persuasive. And I didn't yeah. buy either of those. A New Yorker, especially a New York cashier in Zabar's, would have invited him to take a very difficult anatomical journey, <laughs> suggest he had improper relations with his mother, and request him to leave the premises. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. That would I, I, no. That was utterly un. And I know there's this magical idea of New York. I mean, Woody Allen is really into that. There are a lot of directors, and how charming everyone is. And and New York is amazing, but New York does not take any crap, and New York I is just, not very patient. No, and it's like when he was done. There's this point, like he's talking, and it's like, okay, he's just trying to be gallant and, you know, put himself in the way of what's going to be this, you know, cannon blast of, you know, cashier nastiness. But when Tom Hanks is done talking, suddenly Rose, the the cashier, starts smiling like he's won her over. And I was like, wait, what? Uh, did did he just emit some sort of mace like <laughs> gas that makes people happy? Yeah, we'll is come this back. The Joker. We'll, <laughs> we'll come back to this about whether he's charming or not when we, when we uh, talk about it at the end. Uh, I'd also like to t- talk about the side characters. We, you mentioned Dave Chappelle as Kevin, who is uh, his best friend or a friend or something, a work yeah. colleague. 
who is largely wasted in this role. You're right, he has some of the only funny lines, but they ain't that funny. No. And uh, he has, again, the thing with Chappelle is you can see the energy, and he's just... You could. I just saw he's going. Please let me do something. Yeah. Let me not just be the black best friend, okay? Let me not just be Tonto here, because I am so much better than that, and I can do so much more than that. And that was really irritating. And I have to say, Meg Ryan's side characters are kind of odd too. I mean, her employees. You got. George, who's played by our old friend Steve Zahn from uh, who's, That Thing You Do. Yeah, yeah. Who's, and he's been in tons of things. Yeah. does a lot of voice work. Uh, I can't figure him out. Yeah, he, he he's like, he's just the beginning of a character. Yeah. We don't find, we're supposed, we're supposed to be interested in him, but we're not given anything. And then there's a girl who works there. I don't even remember her name. And she's so badly played. She's re- the, the performance is dull and you don't, you not only don't know anything about her, you don't want to know anything about her. She actually sort of aggressively makes you not want to be interested in yeah. her. <laughs> yeah. Um, George at one point has, it's fun because they're talking about the Stormite having to close. And George's quote is, I'll have to move to Brooklyn. And it's like, <laughs> hold on to that apartment, George, because in about 10 years, you're really going to want it. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I did like his that weird line with the last time we see him is... This place is a tomb. I'm going over to Nut World where it's fun. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, apparently, we find out from a phone call that he ends up getting a job at Barnes. I mean, Fox Books oh, later on. I didn't remember. Well, he says, you know, George has been telling us what it's like over there. Oh, oh. Um, so, what, but he, we don't see him again in the movie. He's gone. He's done. Yeah, um, he disappears. Maybe, maybe, maybe he formed a band or joined the Marines. Who knows? And now we have to come to another character, Bernie. Was played by Gene Stapleton. Wasted. Utterly wasted. Gene Stapleton. Yes, mm-hmm. everyone says, oh yes, that's Edith Bunker from All in the Family, but she's done a whole lot of other things. Gene Stapleton is a fine actor, and I don't know what she's doing in this movie. And I don't think she did either. Because she... Uh, she, had, she has, like, no part. She has no part. She's... At first you think, oh, this is sort of the wise old advisor... Okay, she's like the the batty, kind of slightly crazy uh, uh, older woman who's you know charming but still has source of wisdom. No, <laughs> she, and we find out two things. Could it be Penry the janitor? <laughs> Could be <laughs> deeper. <sighs> what do we find out about her? We find out that she's rich because she bought Intel at six. Which, yeah. by the way, I checked, and in 1998. Intel was online to hit 150. Wow. It, however, oh, tanked and went down to 72. But she's still made out. She's so. still doing pretty well. And there is this anecdote that is supposed to be charming, where she talks about how she met the love of her life in Seville, in Spain. <laughs> Mike, I'm sorry, I know where you're going, and I don't have any explanation. Who did, for her, it who did the love of her life turn out to be? Tell us. Generalissimo Francisco Franco, (laughs) the fascist dictator of Spain, who, as we know from Saturday Night Live, is still dead. Franco. This is supposed to be charming. She had an affair with with Franco. This is not charming. This is disturbing. 
This is like, <laughs> oh, I had a fling with Mussolini. <laughs> like what? I only like I only like Mussolini with clam sauce, but that's just oh well, me. That's, yeah, it's, uh, good, it's good with clam sauce, but. Like, I, I I don't I don't understand her at all. I don't get this character at all. No, and actually, when we first see her, my feeling was, oh, she owns the bookstore. Yeah. Meg Ryan just works there. Yeah, uh, and because they're they're not afraid of her, but they're kind of hush hush when she walks but in. There's a sense of deference. But, yeah, and then later it's like, oh no, it's Meg Ryan's because her mom used to own it. Yeah. It's like, oh, what did you used to do here? Twirl. Oh. Okay, and do you make money at this? Uh, yeah, apparently, though, uh, Bernie was a friend of her mother's. That's well, you realize that Bernie is only Bernie. there as a joke. Yeah, yeah. You she's... know what her last name is? No. Conrad. Do you get it? No. Bernie Conrad? It's the opposite of the, main, uh, the, the lead singer from Bye Bye Bernie. It's Conrad Bernie. She's Bernie Conrad. Get it? Yes. Like, that's it. That is it. That's the joke. Yep. <laughs> she wasn't in that movie. No. <laughs> no one in this movie was involved in that movie. What the hell? What's no, the connection? I don't know. <laughs> oh, good Lord. That's that's even worse. But I saw it in the trivia, and it was just too lame to put in. But it's like, yeah, yeah maybe I can work it in later. <laughs> oh, Lord. Yeah, I don't know what she's doing there. I don't think she knew. It was a waste of Gene Stapleton. Yeah, which is a shame. It really is. Um, hey, in the uh, let's look back and it's a lot of fun category, movie phone. Oh, <laughs> welcome to movie phone. Yeah, uh, because back then you could just call a number and it would tell you with a lot of juggling and pushing yeah. of buttons what film was playing at what theater and when. Yeah, and it only took you half an hour, but... Uh... <laughs> Press three for Dark Avenger. <laughs> Whatever. Uh... Yeah. Because, yeah. Anyway. All right. I, okay. I, I want to, I don't know if, we're, I really want to talk about their chemistry. I want to talk about the meeting, oh, but those, we're not. The questions. All right. So let's, we're... so uh, question one, do we buy how they meet? No. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I jumped in. <laughs> it's. What you mean? Because of all the people that live in a small town like Manhattan. Yeah. They just, he just happens to walk into her bookstore. He, she, he's opening her his bookstore literally around the corner. He brings, he comes in with. He just happens to have children. Yeah. I mean, to be fair too, it's pretty obvious from the opening of the film that they literally live blocks from each other. Yeah, they show that. They, they show them walking on the street and not noticing each other, which is possible yeah. in New York. That happens all the time, I'm sure. But they also just happen to meet in an AOL chat room and live in the same city blocks. Yeah. <laughs> Now, to be fair, we don't know. The chat room could have been uh, people who, singles who live on the Upper West Side. You know, it could have been. No, but. no, we know what the chat room is. It was the over 30 chat room. Oh, that's right. So that's nope. probably <laughs> not likely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty coincidental. It um, feels very, very forced. Uh, the, the word shoved yeah. <laughs> came to mind. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so we're going to vote no on that. I think this is actually the first film in this series where we've said no, yeah. no, no, yeah. we don't buy it. What about um, the, do they have chemistry? <laughs> well, obviously they have chemistry because the critics told us they did. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I'm going to go out on a limb and say no. Yeah, it's the weirdest thing. Both of these people, Meg Ryan and Tom Hanks, they are very charming. They have charisma. I think Hank's more so. 
He has. Oh, you mean people, not not in this film? No, no, no. I mean in the as, film. But in the film, oh, I don't think that they're oh, they're charming. No. Oh, in the film, they're not. No, but I mean as actors. Yeah. Sorry. Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, sorry. Okay. As actors, they are very charming. They have a lot of charisma. I don't know where it went. <laughs> I don't know what happened because it. I barely buy them as friends. You know, becoming friends in this. I don't get any sense of romantic chemistry between them. I mean, she doesn't even do her Meg Ryan smile. No, she doesn't do a little scrunched up cutie smile. She doesn't do that. No. No. Um, this It's related to the directing, which I'd like to get to after we get to our little points. Because directing, for me, doesn't... I'm not usually aware of it so much. Unless it's one of the real biggies, like, uh, you know, uh, Coppola or something like that. And I start noticing the way that they're using the camera and stuff. Mostly with films like this, I don't notice it. But and it, we'll get to this in a sec. I, I agree. I didn't feel like they had chemistry either with themselves or, quite honestly, with anybody else in the movie. Yeah. Like... Her and Frank, Nothing. okay, nothing. No, her, uh, him and Parker Posey. Honestly, I don't think Parker Posey in this film needs anybody else. She is able to supply whatever she needs within seconds. Yeah. Um, it's like, do I need somebody to talk to? No, I'll just continue the conversation on by myself. Um, yeah, because half much. the time she's talking, Tom Hanks never gets her a word in. Mm. Uh, so the final question that I'll throw this one is, uh, do we expect they'll stay together based on how they fall in love? Do we buy that thing at the end? Well, you start this one. Do you buy that? Because at the end, they finally meet up and... Uh, I think the dog's happy. Yeah, yeah. Right? It's got people to, to pet it and to walk yeah. it and feed it. I think the dog's going to be... I, there's, it's so funny. For these two actors, and the third of their outing in this type of film... I honestly get no feeling at all. Yeah, I, I really, I believe that part you said where Meg Ryan was talking about she didn't want to do this stuff anymore because it really feels like she's just walk, sleepwalking through this. Well, let's get to the direction then. Yeah. Um, so I had a couple of, of notes uh, that I wrote about this and of course it's skipping to the end. Surprise! Uh, one of them was a simple premise gracelessly executed. And another one was, let's see, all the necessary elements for rom-com are artlessly thrown at the screen. Yeah, th uh, I agree. That's, that actually makes sense. Like Tom Hanks, it's like I feel like he's trying to do his Tom Hanks thing, but he's been directed to do something else. Yeah. Like he just never connects with anybody. It slips through. Sometimes you get that Tom Hanks-ishness, but it's always yeah. misguided or misplaced. It doesn't. Yeah. The character Joe doesn't make a lot of sense because no. they sometimes play him as the heartless businessman, and he's clearly grown up in a very dysfunctional family and has and would have serious trust issues with anybody and have trouble with with the forming a real relationship. But we also see he's the one who's supposed to be the admirable one, the one, the realist, and he is a manipulative little bastard in this. Especially once he finds out oh, that Kathleen is the shop, shop girl. Gal. Yeah, his, shop gal. His, his shop AOL chat friend. He figures it out and doesn't tell her and no. proceeds to use this information in the most manipulative, cynical way possible. Yeah. He is literally like talking, ugh. you know, when he shows up for their supposed date the first time they meet, he comes in and, and doesn't tell her. That he's uh, NYC 152, he just is himself and begins bad-mouthing 
NYC 152, and they have this running, this what is supposed to be cute of what the 152 is, and the 152 yeah. scars from his nose job, or whatever, yeah. but it's supposed to be adorable. I don't remember most of it, and I just saw it last night. Yeah, me too. Yeah, no, it's it's like he basically when he when the, she's finally learned that or not learned I should say she's finally decided that maybe Joe isn't such a bad guy and she can be friends with him up to a point because he brings her daisies when she's been sick for six months or whatever. <laughs> but then he specifically uses their conversations in person to bolster her interest in NY152. So he re- the manipulation is actually quite disgusting. Yeah, it's really and, it's stalker level stuff. But it's even worse than that because he's not only stalking her, he's molding her opinions about him without her knowing that that's what he's doing. Mm. Um, and then there's a scene so he basically they set up a date that they're finally, these two are finally going to meet. These two chat room slash email buddies are going to finally meet, and it's in this park, and the person's going to have this dog named Berkeley. Uh, um, Brinkley. Brinkley, Berkeley, whatever, yeah, who cares? True. Uh, the dog was cuter than either of them. Yeah. Um, and so he's he's going to come around to Ben, and he's he's calling for the dog, Berkeley, or Bentley, Berkeley, <laughs> Bentley, whatever. Binkley. And he... He, Hinkley. Hinkley. Uh, uh, I think it was a Hanley. That's right. That that's a real deeper. Um, the dog comes around the corner. Then we slowly see Tom Hanks, and I honestly wanted her reaction to be running at him with a knife. I have in my so, notes. There is that line she says when she looks at him and goes, "I wanted it to be you." She and I have. It should have been you, sneaky, manipulative son of a bitch. I am going to murder you so hard, your whole family will die. That is yeah. how a sensible, sane person would react when she realizes this level of of horrible, horrible behavior. And yeah. we're supposed to think it's cute. It's just awful. Um, and it just makes me wonder how this movie did so well. Because, I, you know, rom-coms are not my thing. But most of the other films in this series, I'd say, what is it, six out of eight of the other films in this field, this this series, I enjoyed. Yeah. They were fun. They were light. See? They were nice. Yeah. Some of them were funny. I, you know, yep. it's... Yep. I just This... I, well, we're, we'll get yeah. there. I, <laughs> yeah. I have... I do like rom-coms. I've seen uh, six, six out of the eight of these, the ones we did before. I hadn't yeah. seen Down With Love, and I hadn't seen all of this. Mm-hmm. And I... Uh, this, as you said, had all the elements. It should have worked. It had a great writer. Nora Ephron's terrific. It had yeah. a really good cast, for the most part. At least of the yeah. major characters. And and a great setting. And even a cute idea, which has clearly worked... Well, actually, I don't know how successful the other versions were, but they it's worked well enough that people have done multiple versions of it, and it just... I don't think it worked. Well, one of them had Judy Garland in it. Uh-huh. I imagine it was at least partially successful, because uh-huh. she was kind of huge. Yeah. I know the, not everything she other had Jimmy, gold, The other had Jimmy Stewart, I mean. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I know, uh, for example, one of our listeners, a uh, Valerie... Coons, something mm-hmm. like that. I don't mm-hmm. know. Uh, is a a fan of the original film. She she quite likes mm-hmm. the original film, uh, and she was both uh, unhappy and potentially happy that we were going to do this film because she's not a fan. Um, but we'll we'll get to that at the end. Um, I 
was very surprised, especially in the writing, because we'd just done When Harry Met Sally, and admittedly, there was a couple issues we had with the film, but in general, we both thought it was fun. Yeah. It, was, it was nice, it was happy. It was uh, we funny. We liked some of the ancillary characters a little better yeah. in some ways, but... Um, Chapman. I just was like, what happened? Is this a first draft from like 10 years before that? Or, Yep. I don't know. Speaking of the side characters, pour one out for the fallen homie, Bruno Kirby. Oh, yes. Poor Bruno. Um, I, You know, and again, there's characters in this film that I honestly don't know why they're there. So the, the father and the grandfather mm. of, of Joe Fox, they literally only exist really to show their disgusting relationships and the children from those relationships that themselves don't have any bearing on the plot, except, I guess, to show that Joe's great with kids. Something like that. Yeah, I don't know why they're there. It, again, it's stu- it feels like, oh, this was going to be something, and then it wasn't. And the thing yeah. is, you can. I, I wonder if how much was cut, because this movie still tops out at almost two hours, which for a rom-com yeah. is very long. Yeah, and Michael Palin was supposed to be an author uh. that frequently gave signings at the bookstore. And if they managed to cut every mention of him out, I, it makes me like, what is the ratio on this film of good to bad? Or, well, I shouldn't say that, but cut to not cut. Yeah. I mean, it's got to be close to like 1 to 20. How do you <laughs> cut Michael Palin out of your movie? That's just awful. God. I don't know. Uh, I honestly wish that like Michael Palin had been there and him and Dave Chappelle went off and made yes. a better film. But... Oh my god, I would have totally watched a movie with those two. Yeah, that would have been interesting, actually. Hmm. And even Parker um, Posey could have come along. I think that would have been a great movie. Sure. I, I, I wouldn't have minded at some point if, just to see him looking startled, the Parker Posey character and the George character got together. Yeah. I would love to have had. I'm sorry, what's that? What's that actor's name? George uh, Steve Zahn. Steve Zahn. I would have loved to have Steve Zahn just sit there blinking while she just went on some rant with herself and then like defended the other side of her own argument. I think that would have been funny. <laughs> I would have loved to see that. Yep, that could have worked. Um, but uh, I, I'm uh, mostly out of notes for this one. How about you? I the one thing I'll say it it is a nice little nod to New York. It makes New York look very nice. Of course, it helps when you're looking at one of the richest sections. So, of course, it's very clean. And oh, yeah. uh, I hope you know, we'll say this, that at least there was a black character. Literally yeah. one. Um, but, you know, it is always it was just so heartbreaking to see rich white people in trouble. Oh, in yeah. New York, oh, yeah. Because uh, it's so, so sad. Um, and I honestly think they live about a block from Harry and Sally, but whatever. Probably. Well, I think we should yeah. get to that part. That yeah, how do we are, feel about d- this? Yeah, this is going to be the big reveal. Okay, folks, everybody sit down. The Roundup. Max? Yeah. I so you haven't seen it. this before? <laughs> this is my favorite movie of all time. Yeah. Didn't see that coming, did you? Up yours, Wizard of Oz. <laughs> Forget you, Godfather. Screw Star Wars. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. You've got mail as a cinematic triumph. That's right. Yeah. Brought today today's episode brought to you by M. Night Shyamalan. And don't forget to drink wonderful Sanko along with it. They'll say thank you. Oh, they won't. Oh no, they really, <laughs> I just made that they up. really won't. Uh, no, so you had seen this before or did you seen part seen of it before? Part of it on TV and I got mm. so irritated by it. The only part I liked it, because it seemed like it was out of another movie, I thought it was cute. Was Tom Hanks' little thing with the Godfather? Yeah, he's saying you know, Apparently. it's the I Ching. It's you can, all knowledge from there. 
What should you take on vacation? Leave the gun, take the cannoli. What day is it? Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Wednesday. Apparently that's a thing. Like, that's an actual Tom Hanks thing. Yeah, he and a couple of other people, I can't remember who they are. Yeah, they're really into it. They quote it. They watch it together and do the lines. So, you know, uh, that's... I'm afraid Meg Ryan is right. It really is sort of a guy thing. Guys, we we have... There's something about The Godfather that really speaks to us. I guess. I mean, I certainly enjoyed it and thought it was a good film, but I wouldn't quote it, like, at least not... Knowing oh, I, I had a friend at work. We would always throw these back and forth. He'd, he'd walk by the office, stick his head in and go, Max, it's just business and you're taking it personal. Yeah, try and do the coffee is for closing <laughs> speech. Um, <laughs> a, B, C. Always be closing. <laughs> um, so uh, you didn't enjoy the film is what you're trying I to say. I did not. I wanted to. If this film had a face, I would punch it. <laughs> What about you? Um, well, one of my other notes for this film is this movie is joyless. <laughs> and believe it or not, seven minutes in, and I kind of hate this movie. <laughs> seven minutes. Wow. Wow. <laughs> it took me longer, but yeah. I think it's because they literally telegraph the entire plot in the first seven minutes. Uh, yeah, I can see that. And it's just them walking through their different lives and getting to their bookstores, and we get to the, the it's not even a board meeting, it's just the, the three foxes talking about, oh, we're going to open a bookstore and we're going to take out the little bookstores. And it's like, okay, so now I know literally the entire story. The air- Because, yeah. Go ahead. well, who else is he going to get involved yeah. with, right? It ain't Parker Posey, he's already involved with her. Yeah. It ain't going to be uh, Greg Kinnear, because it ain't that kind of movie. And honest, so it's going honestly, they kind it's of, going to be Meg Ryan. Yeah, and they cheat on one of the standard romantic comedy tropes. One of the oldest tropes: they start out hating each other and then they love each other. And mm-hmm. here they start out hating each other's real life personas, but already like each other's online personas. That's just confusing. Yeah. And again, there's a level of dishonesty to it. Yep. Well, and there's also just, I, again, the directing, I rarely noticed, like, you shouldn't, you either shouldn't notice directing, I think, because that means you're looking at something that's not the story, or you should notice directing afterwards going, wow, they really proved that point by doing this, this thing in an amazing way. But if it bothers you in the middle of the film, I think there's a problem. Yeah. And I, I did. I was like, I think that this one for one thing, this this needed to be edited badly, badly, because there's tons of stuff in it that should never have made it to film. And there's stuff that we would probably have liked better that either they filmed and threw out Michael Palin mm. or I don't know. But like even the dialogue just felt I you know, you pointed this out. Meg Ryan feels tired. Like, really, do I have to do this again? And in our way, we're like, uh, do we have to watch this again? But certain things like emotions from the characters, like at the point where the bookstore closes, we know Kathleen is heartbroken because she tells us she is. We don't really really see it. We don't really buy it. No. She literally says, I'm heartbroken. Yeah. I'm dying. I'm dying. I'm dying. (laughs) Thank you, Mrs. Howell. But, you know, one of the things that I thought illustrated, it's a little throwaway, when they're trying to fight back, when she's trying to follow his go-to-the-mattresses advice, and she's in the back, and they're all, you know, a lot of customers in, and she's, like, shadow boxing and trying to get herself worked up. Didn't that feel horribly fake to you? It so did. It was so low energy and so, like, 
you're just it, you know, keep flailing. Maybe <laughs> she'd had a wire hammer, yeah, yeah. it would have worked better. She, uh, it's <laughs> so there's no energy behind it. And I'm thinking if you actually tried to punch someone like that, you'd break both your hand and I think your back. Yeah, There's, I mean, it just felt like I'm being goofy now. Like, eh, I'm psyching myself up in a quirky, cute way. And like, you really look tired. You look like you can barely lift your arms. Yeah. And I that just, that defined a lot of her performance for me. It's like, I'm just yeah. not going to try very hard. And I, one of my other notes here, are we supposed to like anyone in this yes. <laughs> Well, we we do. We, we kind of like Parker Posey's character and... Well, we find her interesting. Yeah, I don't know if I like her. Oh, oh, there there is one standout performance in this the film. The dog? Yep. Yeah. The <laughs> dog is adorable. The dog is really sweet. The dog is the nicest character. I, I want the dog to open a bookstore. And I believe it's a dog. Yeah, I absolutely believe it's a dog, and I believe the dog actually likes people, because it's a golden retriever mix, and of course they love yeah. everybody. So I think that we have to uh, basically say that if you have not seen You've Got Mail... Consider yourself lucky. Yep, you've got warning. Yeah, but uh, yeah. I think that, that that puts an end to our little rom-com, yes, it trip, does. at least for now. I believe so, but uh, first a little bit of business. Uh, oh, that. Yep, you know, you can always check out our back catalog of episodes at uh, maxmikemovies.com. You can find us on the podcast app of your choice, as you probably already have, the Google <laughs> app or the uh, Apple, Apple app or iHeartRadio. We're on Spotify. We're probably in other places they just haven't told us about. <laughs> you can uh, find us mediating socially on the Twitters and the Facebooks and Max Mike Movies. And, of course, you can email us with questions, comments, lavish praise, death threats, savagery. Coffee coupons. Yeah, co- yeah Sanka coupons. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Uh, uh, Sanka, by the way, if you are happy for all these, these mentions, please don't feel you have to send us any of your product. Really, really don't. It's don't bother, made, really. It's it's made with a great taste of pear. <laughs> That's baby <laughs> sham. But, but uh, you can uh, email us at us, literally us, at maxmikemovies.com. Yes, but next week, next week we're moving on to a new series. Yes. Ooh, new. Yes. Uh, this, this series is going to be called Leave Them Wanting More. Yep. Because we're, ta- we're will... talking about the wonders of sequels. Yeah, sequels. Because that's an old uh, vaudeville uh, saying, leave them wanting more, meaning the audience. Yep. And the idea behind that, of course, is that if you leave them wanting more, they'll always be hungry for your stuff. Yep. But are we? The way we'll find out is by looking at um, a sequel. Yeah, a bunch of them. <laughs> Next week. There are some, some that we love, some that are terrific, and some that we go, why was this inflicted upon us? Yep. Next week, we'll, uh, yeah. Next week, what are we going to see, Max? Are we going to be inflicted, or are we going to go, ooh, ah, Andy? You ask me this on the day of my daughter's wedding? I cannot believe you show me such disrespect. Yes, we're going to be watching the sequel to a movie we talked about a while back, Godfather 2, Electric Boogaloo. <laughs> and just so you know, that was not Bumpy's head. <laughs> it, should, but... it should have been, and I'm not saying it won't be at some point. <laughs> Join Max, me, and Bumpy next week for Godfather 2. This has been a co-production of The Voice of Max and The Movie Wrench.